0: All the balls, the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say like... I'm the Djokovic of this
1: scenario. <laughs>
0: I love it. Love it.
1: Download the OTV Sports app now.
2: Hello, Shane Hannan here, the host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the episode proper, however, I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball, with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough. Pizza? Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado... The F1 pod. The F1 pod. On off the ball with Chicago Town
0: Pizza. Formula one. Yeah, we go to town on it.
2: Alright, you're very welcome along. It's episode 5 of the F1 pod on Off The Ball. We're really motoring now, excuse the pun. Uh, It's weekly between now and the end of the season, live on Wednesdays in the F1 pod podcast feed and of course the Off The Ball daily podcast feed as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, the F1 pod on OTB is brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza, real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town, We want to hear your questions, comments and thoughts as well. Uh, as per usual, you'll get myself on Twitter at ShaneHannon01 and i uh, delighted to welcome for episode five, we're welcoming back Bernie Collins, the Formula One pundit and former strategy engineer who was most recently the head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team and Declan Quigley for his first appearance, motorsport oh. journalist and broadcaster. Bernie and Declan, how are things?
0: Thanks very good, much. Yeah. It's Good to be back.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Shane. Yeah. Good to have you both on for sure. Good to catch up as per usual. Um, I guess it's um, it's it's groundhog day once again when we're looking back at the Austrian Grand Prix. It's, it's tough to uh to start anywhere but Max Verstappen a uh, really Bernie, isn't it? It's, it's it's just one of those things that um, I guess Formula One head honchos would have liked a bit of a title race and a a tighter one for the year but Max Verstappen uh, you know his final pit stop even you know he's leading the race by 24 seconds he's got that window of some supremacy and he goes for the fastest lap it just kind of highlights how dominant he's been
0: Yeah definitely you know we saw after Canada and we thought you know the gap wasn't that big is there something in that? Is the rest of the field closing? And I think someone had described it as the rest of the field are changing their competitive order relative to each other, but not necessarily closing that gap to max. And max is just streets ahead. And like you say, I think it's been unheard of really for the leader to have such a pit window to stop and do the fastest lap. It's normally the guy in P6 or P7 with that sort of margin. So that's, you know, a bit negative based on what we thought we were post-Canada. But... Chako has again stepped up a little bit for the mark this week. Maybe stepped so hopefully he can start to bring a challenge for that P two position on track.
2: And De- Declan, it's just one of those one of those things, isn't it, Max Verstappen now? I'm looking at the drivers' championship standings in front of me here. So he's got the seven wins and nine podiums, two hundred and twenty nine points, and his uh, Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez next on one hundred and forty eight, with Fernando Alonso in third and one hundred and thirty one points in the drivers' championship. The constructors' championship you have Red Bull dominant as well. 377 points uh, versus Mercedes 178 just ahead of Aston Martin Mercedes on 175 um, but Declan it's um, it's a runaway train really Max Verstappen isn't it that uh, appears that it won't be stopped
1: um, it's not going to be stopped this year is it I mean you might see a little bit of a closing up towards the end of the, of, of the year it's um, it's a done deal you know he's already won the world championship because he owns the team doesn't he and Perez not a bad weekend great recovery on Sunday wasn't it I mean he was he sort of racing back up through them. Um, but it's not necessarily all that good for Formula One. It's not something, I mean, I've, we've seen it before in the past, haven't we? We've seen it in the Vettel years to a certain extent, and certainly uh, with the Schumacher years and and previous to that. I mean, there were other years of dominance, particularly with the Schumacher years. I think that that killed the golden goose. That, uh, everyone's saying, oh, you know, drive to survive era. Everybody's in, they're in for the long term. You know, you've seen Ryan Reynolds and mates are investing in Alpine. So it's clearly, this is going to be a good thing. But, but actually I would be very concerned because um, when Schumacher, I mean, everyone thought Michael Schumacher was the bee's knees back in the, the early 2000s and they loved him and they, but they got tired of Formula One. Everyone got sick of it. And if it's predict, if it's not unpredictable, then you've got a problem with your, with your race series. And uh, to me, um the problem is, is to a certain extent Sergio Perez, and also I think there's a slight philosophy issue in the in the race team. Uh, Mercedes, during the years of dominance with Lewis Hamilton, could imagine a situation where you know Nico Rosberg, which could challenge him, you know, and they they would allow it. They could countenance it, but then you saw the sprint race on Saturday. Uh, Sergio gave him a bit of a lean on the run to the the third corner, second corner, whatever it was, and. Um, uh, I mean, it was like he's panicking, he's shouting on the radio, he's getting annoyed. And then afterwards, Christian Horner is saying, well, we better have a word with them, you know. Uh, in in Mercedes, the rule is you don't, if you, as long as you don't crash into each other, do what you want. And yeah. I think that that was pre-Drive to Survive. I think Toto Wolff and his clan at, at Mercedes kind of figured out that you've got to let them race or else we've got nothing to sell here. We're not going to sell our Mercedes cars next week. So, you know, you've got to let Sport and you know breathe because and what Ferrari did back in the shoe market years, they let, uh, you know Rubens Barrichello, Stew and Eddie Irvine was very much you know second best and it, the same thing to a certain extent is happening I think with Sergio Perez he's he's fighting he's fighting got a couple of wins this year. You know, sick on Thursday, recovered okay. But it's contract time for him, and he's he's under a bit of pressure. Maybe in some ways, it kind of suits them that he's a little bit under the cosh at the moment when they're negotiating contracts. But it's not good, is it?
2: No, and like Bernie, it's a, it's a fifth victory in succession, seventh of the season, forty second of his career. And like, do you share the same uh, concerns, maybe, that that Declan has in terms of the, I guess, the interest levels in the sport that that can sometimes win when a driver has auto dominance.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that, and I, you know, totally agree that it's very hard sell. Even you know, those of us within the sport, you know, I'm interested in the midfield battle. I'm excited to see what's going on behind. I'm very much looking at the sort of B two, B three before anyone could end up in those like second or third podium steps at the minute, and that is very exciting. But that is a hard sell to the general public. It's hard to sell that you're not competing for the number one step, and we're actually waiting for something to go wrong with Max on a reliability issue, an instant to turn one, whatever it might be. And that's what's going to bring us a, a different result in the race. So I do share the concern that it does become um mediocre in a way, but it's upon those of us that can to try and sell that battle further back. It is a much, much harder sell, I definitely agree. I think it's interesting the points about... How the teams formatted. I think that Red Bull team is very much built to get around Max, um. But in many ways, I think the Mercedes team is built around Lewis. They maybe just have, you know, potentially a stronger second driver to Lewis, or have had over the previous few years. let say that have pushed him that bit harder, maybe, um, and are more open to racing on track than potentially the Red Bull is. So it's it's interesting to see.
2: Yeah, it it definitely adds an, a different element to it, and and I guess Declan as well. The the sprint race is something that I, I suppose in Spielberg and in Austria we look forward to seeing it. It's um, certainly for me, it's added an extra element. I know Verstappen wins the sprint race easily uh, on on Saturday, but um, is that is that an element? The sprint race in addition to to the Formula One calendar that you that you've enjoyed that you like to see maybe even more of.
1: Oh, yeah, I think they're great, Uh, except, of course, you should never let the teams get involved in making the rules or at least keep them to the, you know, Mm -hmm. keep them out of it as much as possible. Because, you know, what's the old Bernie line about they can't even decide on the biscuits for the meeting? Um, There's always vested interests. And of course, they have the knowledge and of course they have... They're franchise holders. So they say, well, we have to be allowed to, you know, be involved in uh, sporting and technical regulations, the decisions of it. But the problem is, what we really need is Saturday sprint race, reverse grid of um, the championship standings. And then there's a bit of jeopardy about it because you've got to, you know, your finishing position is going to be your starting position for Sunday. Um, That's actually, that was proposed years ago by uh, Gary Anderson when we were, uh, you know, another. Man from Northern Ireland from Coleraine, um, and he—that was his idea, and I thought it was a super idea, and I still think it's the way they should do it. And I think, uh, that would mean that they have to hustle a bit more. That would keep us interested on Sunday, especially in years of dominance. Um, yeah, never let the teams hear, hear mm-hmm. those decision making because they will just dilute it and hone it and take it away from any sort of challenge. I mean, you can understand the pressure that guys like Christian Horner et cetera are under. I mean, it's all about points. And points means money, and they all they can see. That's their bottom line, and that's the pressure they're under. And so you've got to take that pressure away away from them a little bit, or at least let them focus on that pressure and take away the decision-making on some of the sporting regulations.
2: But from a race strategy perspective, what, did it add anything for you, Bernie? Like, for you know, when you're working on the Aston Martin team, were the sprint weekends a bit more complicated to deal with? I, I'd imagine they were.
0: I think it's I'm sort of seeing both sides of the coin now a little bit. I totally agree with that and saying Team shouldn't be allowed to make the rules. I've started a number of FIA meetings where we're deciding on new rules or tire distributions or whatever. And every team's thinking of their own little edge on it. And even this weekend, most of some of the things that happened in the sprint. And, you know, I spoke to some people in the airport on the way home from Austria, and everyone had their own complaint based on their own team's performance in that aspect. So I'm totally on board with that. Um The thing that threw up that it was interesting this weekend is because of the wet weekend, we had a lot of variation to the sprint weekend that we don't normally have in Austria. So the first one being in the qualifying shootout that we have on Saturday morning, because it was wet, the teams were allowed to use any of the tyres. Medium, soft, didn't matter. There was pit stops. There was a lot going on. And I think that brought a much more interesting sprint shootout qualifying than what we would have had otherwise because... Are they going to run a new medium? Are they going to run a new soft? Which is quicker. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of pressure on the drivers, a lot of decision-making that I think was very valuable. And equally, the sprint race, we had 11 of the drivers do a pit stop, which we never see in the sprint race. And that really spiced up the sprint race. So it's almost at a point of thinking, if you mandate a pit stop in the sprint race, is it way more exciting than not mandating a pit stop in the sprint race? So just that sort of wet start really made an interest in what people were going to do. And then not having any long-run data, I think is, you know, really important from the outside. Mm. Now, when I was on the inside, my opinion was very different. I hated Sprint weekends. it's <laughs> a lot of pressure. It's really busy. You don't have the data. You go into a lot of stuff blind. And I think I particularly hate this format, which I've not raised under, because you've got no long-run data as a strategist going into Sunday. But it does make Sunday better from an outside. Be- but
1: does blind not help make the strategists look the, the ones that get it right look brighter does it not you know mean yeah. that you guys are actually more involved and that you can be more excited about it?
0: definitely it does and it means that you know it's a bit like if you get a normal weekend and even a wet Friday and you don't get the long run date on a Friday there's a lot more reaction happening in the race there's a lot more strategy on the fly and yes it's a lot more pressure it's a lot more work but there is more to be gained or lost and it does really show up the good teams at that point so you know, I welcome the challenge of it, but it was just always easier to have all your nice long run data set and they're ready to go. So there's there's pros and cons in you. That's one of the reasons I sort of always thought in ways that not having a Friday was good. Now, the, the opposite side of the point of that is it shows up in many ways. and it was, I think Norris spoke a lot about it over the weekend. Being fit to go straight into that qualifying on Saturday morning really highlights the drivers that are on it versus the drivers that are not. The seems true of a race where you don't have all your data ready to go. You need the driver to react with you. You need him to be in season what the pit wall is talking about, fit to make any plan work really or give good feedback on the tyres. So it does really promote the best of the whole team, the best of the driver and the best of the pit wall.
2: I, pre- I presume it's something as well, Bernie, that the drivers like. like surely the drivers appreciate the chance to kind of go bumper to bumper and have a little bit of overtake and, and Rg bargy I, I know, of course, they, they want to look after themselves for the race proper, but I'm, I'm sure it adds a little bit extra competition, does it?
0: I think definitely the sprint weekend last year, you know, the drivers hate doing the test runs that we try and make them do on a Friday or a Saturday of a normal weekend. They're not interested in the aero development. They're not interested in trying the new wing unless it's the fastest one and they know it's definitely going on their car they're interested in getting into the qualifying runs. Even the long runs from a data point of view, there's many times that we've had to ignore because the drivers just push too hard. So they're all about the qualifying for them. And I think from that aspect, they do enjoy it more. They enjoy the sprint weekend, just getting stuck into it. But I think then they have a much bigger weekend in terms of the intensity, in terms of what it takes out of them. And then you look at the other argument, you know, and we get onto it a bit, but the Hamilton... Just drive the car. He's paid a lot of money to drive a very fast car that lots of us would be more than willing to step into. Mm-hmm. So you can't feel that much sympathy for someone getting paid the money they're getting paid that they've got a few extra competitive sessions over the weekend either. So, but well, I think on the whole, it's it's great. I just it's intense when you're at the weekend. It's pretty intense.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I can imagine. We'll come back to that Hamilton radio uh, commentary shortly as well. But um, Declan, we should touch. So on maybe the- so
1: maybe three well. laps qualifying for the sprint and then. Uh, no, we've got to figure out something here, mm-hmm. but because qualifying is the best, isn't it? And a one lap shootout. I mean, they're the best of the best. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Verstappen would probably have you know 150 point lead in the championship now because he's better. Uh, and yeah, if if the format was honed more towards the driver, but you know, um, so I, I mean, all the time we're tweaking with the rules, tweaking, 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 trying to fix the situation now. And of course, you don't know what's going to be, what is going to be like in two two months time, two weeks time. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's kind of like the you know the, the golden goal in football at the trial and the silver goal and penalty shootouts. And I thought it was I, great. Yeah, I guess I hate they penalty shootouts. I really and think.
1: I love golden goal. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, I must be <laughs> go. unique on planet Earth.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas I love penalty shootouts. You see, this is the thing. It might be because Mayo and Cardi Monaghan won one last weekend, but sure, we'll we'll so we'll have to talk about that. We'll leave that for the Gaelic, Gaelic football. Pod. It was on pole. Yeah, this is the thing, yeah. But that's the thing, in Formula One, at least they're trying these things, you know, and I guess in, to some degree it's trial and error, you know, to, to kind of come up with new ideas that, that are going to bring fans in. Um, I guess one of the things, Declan, from, from Austria, that that uh, I, I guess will drive fans mad is the track limits rulings. Um, and, and you look at the, the, the orders of results. So you had fresh penalties handed out to Sainz, Hamilton, Gasly, Albon, Ocon, Sargent, De Vries, and Tsunoda. Um and then if the final order change, signs loses his fourth places, drops to sixth. Norris up to fourth, Alonso to fifth. Hamilton and Russell switching places between seventh and eighth. Um and Stroll moves up to ninth, Gasly to ten. It's just it's a bit of a mess, Declan, isn't it? When when you have this this sort of thing happening,
1: it's an absolute and total and utter complete mess. Uh, oh, did I read there were twelve hundred different reports sent to the stewards over the weekend? Yeah, twelve hundred potential
2: violations, which is which is insane. I
1: also saw one um commentator. um our analysts suggested today that you just ignore track limits on Sunday. You know, they, they only count for qualifying. Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but then you've got, they say it's like Middle Eastern rallying back in the day where they completely redesigned the special stages depending on where yeah. they want to put their car. Um, I, I've also seen suggestions that maybe a strip of grass, you know, people are saying more sausage curbs, they they rip the cars asunder, but maybe that's the penalty you pay. And potentially you've got more safety car situations or, you know, or worse, you know, you've got a a dangerous accident, but surely it's better than having a wall there. It's definitely better than gravel, you know, having the high the high grip tarmac on the outside seat, I mean, that's still, that's got to stay there, hasn't it? So I think probably sausage curbs is the way to go, more more of them. And you just have to, the drivers have to be penalised for their indiscretion. They won't take it all the way to the wall and beyond, which is what it is, the virtual wall, isn't it? That that uh, white line on the track, so. I mean, we think about the wall of champions, but uh, in in Montreal, you know, mm. and they all hit it over the years. But actually, very few people hit that wall, <laughs> you know. Whereas you've got twelve hundred reports of people going over that white line. You can't put a wall there, but you've got to put something, and it's just ridiculous having track limits. It's just nuts, you know.
2: It is fairly insane because even, like I'm I'm looking here, Bernie, like even someone had, had reported that even if you had just 100, 100 infringements, that would mean the stewards were making a track limits judgment every 51 seconds in Austria. So you can see how things would 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 slip through the net and not be, not be seen. But, you know, all these track limits infringements are just silly, aren't they?
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it's something that we need to sort of look at. In the race, we've not, we've seen it in qualifying a lot and we were expecting to see it in qualifying. We we're expecting to see a number of lap turns deleted and actually this year in many ways it was almost better than it was last year and then the race I wasn't expecting it to be such a thing and looking through some of the videos I think one of the things that stood out to me when I went through some of the analysis from the race is actually it prevented the stewards making calls on other things which are more relevant so there was a number of drivers I noticed that um incorrectly entered the pit lane, So I noticed at one point a driver in the wet cut across the white line that they're meant to be inside in the pit lane, And I noticed another driver during the race going the other way. So there's other penalties that are meant to have been, you know, given out during the race that I feel are missed because the stewards are just overworked. And you look at, you know, someone mentioned sort of in, in Austria over the weekend, you look at you know, in tennis or any of these things, we've got a lot of cameras well set up to accurately predict if a ball is inside or outside the line. Why aren't we using, what can we do more in technology? That means it's not someone manually going through some videos to figure out if a car is in or out. We do have sensors in the track, but it shouldn't be to that that scale. And I do totally agree with Declan that it needs to be something physical that says you won't go there. And, you can guarantee if there's a physical block there, whatever that may be, a sausage curve, gravel, a wall, it won't get hit so often. So and I imagine if we went back to Austria this week, for example, the drivers would be a lot more careful on that car. They've just been getting away with it for years in the race and assumed that was going to be the case again.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing as well. That, like I mentioned, those you mentioned, those 1,200 potential breaches. In the end, they found 83 rule breaches by drivers after the race, after more than 20 during the race. And, uh, you know, those eight drivers I mentioned, like some of the penalties went from five seconds for Sonoda up to, you know, 10 seconds for others, De Vries at 15 seconds, and a, and a 30 second penalty for Akon. For uh, so it's changing, it changes. Two it?
1: two drivers didn't didn't infringe.
2: It's it's in insane. Price, I, think. I think that was I yeah. think that's correct. Like and that's just, I guess. Look, the the other side of this is that these are the twenty best drivers supposedly in the world. So there shouldn't be this many uh, track limit, you know. I guess uh, breaches across a race. But at the end of the day, this is just a number that's that's far too many to make the sport enjoyable.
1: Can you not just restrict the cars somehow? I mean, you know, they do it in indoor karting, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> if you're naughty or whatever, they slow you on the way back to the pits. I mean, they can not just slow you down at the, you know, at the pit stop. I like you say it, it should it should be automatic that it's understood that it happened and then instantly the pe- penalty can be applied to the to the vehicle somehow. I mean, you can't slow them out down out in track because that would cause carnage. But maybe slow them at the next pit stop or something. You know, that, yeah.
2: Yeah, change it up. Good reason that we- one
0: we we just can't have decisions being made post-race you know we could have been right. in a situation this weekend where the podium changed and that's pretty unacceptable for something as simple as track limits and you know lap 5 lap 6 whatever of the race that we're deciding at half an hour after the race is a bit unacceptable really it's it,
1: people on, hate them it's, people hate them during the race too so maybe i mean that physical impediment is probably the best solution isn't it because if people don't actually want to see penalties thrown hither and yon. Unless it's gets you know it's against your guy, you know, and your your guy your guy is going to benefit from it. But in general, I don't think people watching like to see the penalties. They don't enjoy it.
2: Yeah, it's say I think for from a fan's perspective, I, I, you don't like it, like even when the race is punctuated by safety cars as it as it was to an extent in Austria as well. That that also I can kind of breaks up the, the atmosphere and the tension and the and the jeopardy for, for fans. So This is kind of similar, Declan, isn't it? You don't want Jeopardy broken and you don't want the race broken either.
1: Yeah, it takes rhythm away from the watching experience as well as the the driving experience. I suppose it does lead to a number of different sprint races. You know, you talk about drivers, they just want to get in and drive the wheels off. One of the fundamental issues with modern Formula 1 racing is it is now effectively 1980s sports car racing and as much as there's instead of it being a fuel formula or whatever, they're the huge trucks, they're enormous vehicles for a start, and the, um, they, they're just driving to the tyres the whole time, you know, mm. which is, I mean, we shouldn't really be able to hear them on the radio just chatting away, like Hamilton was non-stop, you know, warbling away. I mean, they should be just so under pressure that they're hanging on by their, you know, it's a white knuckle ride all the time, um, but Obviously, I mean, you know, it's they are amazingly fit. They're incredibly on top of it. They are the best of the best of the best. And they're able to absorb so much data and so much input and be able to steer the car and hit their apexes again and again and again. We, we I don't entirely understand how they can do it. It's just they are extraordinary people. But it's almost uh, they're affecting their own ability to tell the public just how amazing they are. About by being, by being able to chat away on the radio the whole time, as if it's just a drive to the shops. Yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. You can imagine and any other sport having a mic, you know, players or whatever mic up will be raising eyebrows, but it, but it, it does at least show their talent. That's the one thing for sure. One driver, Bernie, that that um would be pretty happy and pretty pleased with the weekend's outing uh, with Charlotte Claire. With for Ferrari, um, plenty of reasons to smile. You know, he I think he, he won in Austria last year as well. Brilliant qualifying lap on Friday, uh, sets up his weekend nicely and a first second place finish for the season. I think his his teammates Carlos Sainz certainly helped him in holding up Sergio Perez for for quite some time. Um, but all in all, Charlotte Claire,
0: brilliant weekend. Yeah, I think the Ferraris, you know, both of them in terms of P is a much better weekend than what we've seen in the past. Equally, you know, um past took a step backwards, McLaren a step forward. So it was not very strong weekend for Ferrari and McLaren and they really needed that. And I think, you know, we discussed it as well. Canada, their strategy was really good. So sort of let's hope that's a coming together of the team that sort of helps a little bit push forward, you know, with a bit of momentum, coming to Silverstone this weekend. Austria's not that dissimilar a track and that there's a good degree of high-speed cornering and things, so hopefully they can bring that momentum forward. Obviously, Ferrari won it soon, I think, last year as well, so can they carry that forward and start to, you know, close the gap, I think, in the championship position or at least get themselves in a bit more powerful position in that fight for the P2? It's
2: it, it seemed consistent, Declan, didn't it? The, the Ferrari performance of the weekend on, on both the medium and the hard tyres and and, and... I guess you kind of feel like maybe they needed a weekend like that to, to kind of prove to everyone they figured out all their little, little problems.
1: They led the race, didn't they? Which is, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's practically a victory these days, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. And they took cars up there consistently. They didn't crash into each other, didn't make any extraordinary errors on, on strategy. Um, they caught out a little bit with the virtual safety car, weren't they, in terms of the timing, but that wasn't really their fault. Um yeah, I mean, it looks quite good for them. They won there last year, but I, uh, well, they won in Silverstone last year. But I sort of think that <clears throat> Silverstone, <is> more, <clears throat> it could be a bit of a Mercedes track, could come back to the Mercs a little bit. And it'd be interesting to see how Aston Martin do there as well. So, you know, uh, I think Bernie was talking a little bit earlier about how there's a rotation between the midfield teams on a, on a regular basis. And <clears throat> Toto Wolf was saying as well that some other teams, I mean, notably McLaren, had their upgrade game, looked like it made a difference. Um, You know, other teams are going to be coming with uh, different upgrades at different times and then. It'll be cycling through, uh, and that, and that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a rotation in, in midfield. I mean, midfield starts right behind Red Bull, doesn't it? It's it, again all the way to the rest of the, to the bottom of the grid. It's actually like as Bernie was saying, it's actually savage stuff. It's amazing, amazing racing if you take the Red Bulls out of it. So mm. you know, maybe be careful. Be careful what we wish for. You wouldn't want to change too many things because maybe it'll evolve to a point where we've got almost all the teams that are <clears throat> competitive for the race win are close to it. Yeah,
0: stressed yesterday, Dak, and that's... What I'd like to see is, you know, we're all thinking Verstappen's going to nail the championship down pretty early, but at the point that he nails it down, I'd like to see him not compete anymore. Right. We'll I think we,
1: we, Nicky yeah. did that in 1977. He couldn't get away quick enough. Yeah. You know? I, I don't mean. I yeah. don't mean.
0: I don't mean pack it in forever. I just mean for the end of the year. So the last yeah. ten races, whatever it is, if the championship's done we get a good fight between everyone else for the P1 position. I'd just like to see once you've secured your place in the championship, you no longer take part in the rest of the year just to see a good fight for P1 in the last remaining races.
1: Yeah, win and yeah. out. Win and yeah. out. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Give us some new uh, some new P1s, new new podiums as well. That'd be nice. Um, so if Max happens to be watching the F1 pod this week, certainly maybe pay attention to what Bernie's said there and duck out once they, you have the championships again things
1: change though you know like uh, um when button won in 2009 i mean they just i mean they had their tweak didn't they um with the, with the uh, diffuser uh but uh they were rubbish in the second half of the season weren't they that brown. i mean it, like they absolutely flew and then the, the, i will say the wheels fell off it's a bit of a, an exaggeration but he kind of limped to the title by the end and he had it won you know so you know things can change yeah
2: yeah absolutely Uh, we're going to pick up in just a second guys we'll take a a very short ad break here on the uh, F1 pod and Off The Ball it's episode 5 and we have uh, Bernie Collins and Declan Quigley with us and we'll be back with you on the F1 pod in just a sec
1: the F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza
2: Formula 1 yeah we go to town on it All right, you're very welcome back to episode five of the F1 pod on Off The Ball. We have myself, Shane Hannon. we have Bernie Collins, the F1 pundit, and uh, who was most recently head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team, and Declan Quigley as well, the motorsport journalist and broadcaster. Uh, You'll get the F1 pod and the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts from every single Wednesday. Uh, We want to hear your questions, comments and thoughts as well. Tweet myself at ShaneHannon01 if you have any of those. We were discussing, um, Bernie, before the ad break there, Ferrari and um, a good weekend for Charlotte Claire. I guess one of the highlights, and we kind of said this that you know you want you want a bit of a battle in the midfield. And we're kind of getting that at the moment, but the um, the battle between Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez was one of the highlights of the weekend.
0: Yeah, it definitely was. And It's nice to see. It, it, I was concerned going into it how much um, Perez might fight it. He might be sort of trying to just get a good finish under the belt and not necessarily be spinning off into the gravel at some point. But yeah, there was, was very tight between them there and seemed quite evenly matched and a lot of, you know, a lot of us made in the commentary at the time, just some of the thought that someone like Max was putting into his race and like not overtaken into turn three. So we still had the DRS out of turn three and, you know, Cecho eventually got there with that, but there was quite a lot of, of good fights between them in that stage of the race that I think, will have affected the progress of Cecho Main. And I think without, you know, the early BSC that Ferrari took, I would struggle to think that maybe even Cecho would have got there to close down the gap to those guys at that point. So it is quite interesting how that progressed through the race for them.
2: Um then we might uh, move on to Lewis Hamilton and Matters Mercedes. Uh, we were discussing how Silverstone is one of the tracks that maybe they've traditionally done done very well. Um, uh, Hamilton was one of the, the earliest track limits, um, I guess, victims of uh, his five second penalty. Um, and he was fuming, uh, you know, you could hear him in the car radio. And eventually, we said it earlier, Mercedes chief Toto Wolff intervenes and says, Lewis, we know the car is slow. Please drive it with a clear uh, sense of irritation in he's his. He's a great voice. manager, isn't he? He's he's a, just I mean, a, it's just yeah. it's it's certainly entertaining for us, but but clearly Hamilton is in a place right now where he is frustrated.
1: Yeah, he's fuming, but he's been fuming since 2007. I mean, that's why he's great. I mean, he he is just what he is. I think he's the greatest ever. I mean, you can't compare years and all that sort of stuff. You know, Fanjo Hamilton, but he is he is just extraordinary that that he's still motivated, still interested. You could you know similar applies to Fernando Alonso, but I think. Slightly breaks my heart to say, it, but I think that uh, Hamilton's probably quicker, you know, and and I think he is the most remarkable human being. I, I don't know where he gets the motivation or the interest, but it really matters. And he, yes, he's absolutely really, really frustrated. And they had a bit of a minging weekend. They dragged a little bit out of it. I think it could come back to them now this uh, this coming weekend. We'll see to the marks. Um, uh, But um, his frustrations. You know he does express them. He makes himself probably less popular with casual uh, race fan as a result. Um, are they even and also casual race fans. Um, but who cares? He's he's in the job to win, and he he carries his team by badgering them, by hectoring them, by you know challenging them, by getting annoyed. And he's not the only one. In fairness, I mean, Max Verstappen tends to get a bit grumpy. Uh, again, the aforementioned Fernando Alonso, they're the alpha bunnies, aren't they? They 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 dominate their teams. They own their team. Uh, again, I mean, that that always comes with the codicil that um, George Russell had a pretty good year last year, but maybe not so strong this year, you know, and um, it's coming back to Hamilton. Yeah, he's getting older and he's still he's still there. He's still quick.
2: Yeah, you know, that's the thing, Bernie. Like you, you, you could say Mercedes of the last eighteen months have just not been where they are. And if you played that audio from the weekend of Toto Wolff in Austria, you, uh, you, you could have said it's from any race in the last eighteen months. Essentially, it, it's no, it's no real surprise that it happened. And then, and yet, as Declan says, you know the fact that he's thirty-eight years of age, Lewis Hamilton, and still showing that fight and still getting pissed off, which is a good sign, shows he's still interested. Um. So I guess there's two sides to
0: it. Yeah, I think there definitely is. And, you know, some of the people I'd spoke to in the paddock sort of thought that the years, maybe the '01 or whatever, was very tight between Hamilton and Verstappen. Actually, he seemed to be enjoying it more than they had in the years prior to that because he was now not necessarily driving the fastest car on paper, but still very close to winning the championship. So it was always like more of a proof of how strong he was as a driver than the years before where he was just fit to drive around anyone and and still win the championship so he he seemed to be enjoying those latter years more and i don't think he's enjoying this year because the gap is is you know too much the other way but there is something driven within him to prove himself as potentially one of those drivers who've taken not the fastest car and still managed to achieve good results with it he does get frustrated on the radio and there's often a lot and you see it from a very political side. He's getting the track limits warning. He's had the warning from the car. And it feels a bit like, I'm just going to say this car is not good so that people are aware it's not me doing the drive, limit, drive track limits, it's you guys. And then, you know, Toto's coming back and saying, we'll just drive it. You know, and there's there's always this little... You had it as well. Um, I don't know if we gathered, you know, Max is really at the end of the race where or maybe it was the end of qualifying where they discuss... Oh, yeah, it was in a qualifying where they he had a little um, off in one of the corners that would have made him even quicker in qualifying. It's like, that doesn't need to be discussed in a radio at that moment, but it's the only way to get that point clearly across to the public. So there's often these sort of, you know, there's often a hiding of messages because they know we listen to it, but then there's often open expression of messages because it's the best way to get your point out there. So there's a lot going on in terms of, what we're being given and how we perceive it, and I always laugh at that when I get the little. The cars are very good messages, like I could win this race if you guys did a better job. <laughs> oh, so it makes me laugh a little bit in the inside because you're used to hearing that on the pit wall. Um, but you know, Toto's managing it well there. It's just you know it must be frustrating for Bono on the pit wall to to get those messages continuously, and Toto have to get involved. It's a bit much, isn't it? But he is going to bring the team forward. And he is equally, which we don't hear so much, very good at the end of the race and congratulating them on a good pit stop or congratulating them on a good strategy or trying to motivate the team behind him. And that will be his strength, his experience over George in terms of galvanising the team behind him to improve and do better. And that team in Brackley is really strong. So they just need that little push and they will get it.
2: Yeah, and it's 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 one of those things, isn't it, Declan? That I guess he's he's having to get used to the to the revised car and and, and the upgrades to the car and and look, he's a, he's an excellent driver, as you say, Lewis Hamilton. He's going to get used to it. I, I do wonder on the car radio stuff, like these conversations. I no doubt happen, and Bernie, you might know know the answer to this one as well. But I presume conversations happen in advance of a race where drivers are told, you know, can you? Tone down the negativity or the criticism of the car or the or the team, but then again, I guess it is an ego thing where drivers do want to, I guess, disassociate themselves from, or absolve themselves of blame.
1: They're by miles the best played people in their teams, aren't they? Yeah. So they, you know, they live in these ivory towers, and it needs a really, really strong manager, someone who is a is a figurehead. Is Total Wolf Horner's good too, isn't he? I mean, those guys are able to command their team. The, the, the team principal. I mean, you see it in other sports as well, where the where the player is, is much better play, paid than the manager and they don't respect the manager. You know, I think that there is enough respect there. And I think he is, absolutely, he's, it does get boring listening to it, doesn't mm-hmm. he? This overprivileged, you know, super wealthy person and God, he's getting to drive every weekend and that. But, you know, he wants something else. I do not know why. He wants to drive Formula One racing cars anymore, but he, he needs it, needs it. You know, like it's, it's, it's an old cliche, isn't it? It's not so much the bit extra that these people have. It's the bit missing, you know, but he's, he's just, ext- I mean, I think both he and, and Fernando Alonso are just remarkable human beings because they have their money. So it's not for that. And their the reputation can, is, is on the line every weekend. So that's another thing as well. I mean, they're front of, it's a team sport. Uh, motorsport is is a team sport and yet and yet they're the ones that sit front of house they're the ones that we're talking about on this podcast endlessly they're the ones that people are commenting upon Uh so they're the ones that are in the firing firing line much like yourself shane you know you're you're front of house for a team that off the ball and <laughs> um, you know if something goes wrong technically you're the one that people are going oh you know he said this he said that so it's i mean you'll understand it on that level i'm sure yeah um, so yeah i can i can feel the frustration a little bit and you i could understand why a guy like him would want to sort of manage and manipulate the message but plus of course they're they're constantly talking to the ref aren't they they're like them, um, johnny sexton mm-hmm. you know badgering referees constantly hectoring <laughs> and annoying them you know and irritating the book but, but trying to force their own agenda just trying to get what they need out of it
2: yeah no michael no just comes into my head as soon as you, you talk about uh, the t- team engineers and the <laughs> team was talking to the referees. I'll, I'll never get that phrase out of my head. Um, but I know it is is similar and that, that's that's a good thing point on, on, on the age as well because we even had Jason Quigley and Donegal Boxer into the, the studio this week and off the ball and he was talking about, you know, he's 32 now and just after another 12 round battle over in Madison Square Garden and he said he was driving from Dublin Airport up to Donegal and, uh, you know, he was debating where he goes from here, whether he hangs up the gloves. And he said, he just, it just struck him straight away. He wants to get straight back into the gym. So I'm always impressed by these guys like Hamilton and like Alonso, like yourself, Declan, who at a, at, at their age still seem to find the love of the, the sport, love of the game from somewhere. Um, they, they clearly drag it from out of themselves but for but fair play to them but, but
1: it's but it's but it's to want to be at the top level I, I don't find it even remotely surprising that they'd want to drive racing cars i mean but lots mm. of guys can go off um you know historic racing or do sports car racing or do something at a slightly lower level where the intensity and the pressure isn't there and they can still have the have that feeling have that sense you know we've seen how many guys have stopped in the last bunch of years that they've stayed racing so that that would make sense but to be able to stay and want to stay at that level, you know, for uh for Alonso and Hamilton, I just find remarkable.
2: I guess one one positive for Mercedes, Bernie, from the weekend was that uh, your own former team, Aston Martin, had a similarly per weekend. I guess both Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll, um, bit of a slow reaction maybe to the virtual safety car, and and uh, I guess the the pit lane time loss that they had from there, they just didn't have a great weekend. Yeah, I was.
0: I was very surprised by a few of the Aston Martin decisions, really. And The uh, well, first thing is, I was surprised at the pace versus McLaren and Ferrari in particular. Um, but yeah, the, the VSC came out, we always have a plan for what we're going to do under safety car, what our stop laps could be, when we would take it. You know, if we think of Lance as a standard, Lance standard, started on the medium, to stop the second lap on the safety car is a mistake. Something's gone wrong there. They had enough time to react the first time around. Hamilton had stopped. And I don't understand why on the medium tyre, except with the pace of the Red Bulls are trying to get to positions like the Red Bulls, it wasn't the right thing to do. Alonso was less clear-cut because he'd started on the hard tyre. So I can understand the delay there. But again, there should have been a pre- discussion about it, you know, and those laps running up to it, there would have been a discussion about what they should or shouldn't do. And then almost the worst thing they could have done was stop both cars on the second lap. So Lance has now lost the time time because he's got to make a gap to the car ahead. And based on what happened in Canada with Norris getting the unsportsman like behaviour penalty for opening the gap too much. Teams should be hesitant to do that anyway. But I don't I don't know how much of the coverage you watch, but one of the things on the bid was there was a lot going on in Alonzo's car on the grid. Almost all of the engineers were around that car. There was an extra tyre set there wrapped up. And it just struck me, just in walking by it, that something was changing last minute on the grid. And in my head, based on nobody telling me anything different, I've decided that he was originally start, meant to start the medium and changed to the hard last minute. It just struck me that there was a lot going on around the car. There was a lot of frantic discussions. Alonso was stuck in the middle of it. It was this, one of these in the pit wall, you get these bright ideas from someone that you've no control of because you're not on the bridge yourself. And it's just the worst thing to come to the pit wall. And it just struck me that then maybe that has spiraled into this lack of preparedness for the VSE and that team. And I don't know that that's correct. It's just sort of... The notion I've taken myself based on what i see seen on the grid. But in any way, they should have done something different with Lance. And it, it lost them both positions, particularly Lance, because he had to make the gap and then he's missed the end of the VSC. So it was just, it's this often happens in the pit wall, where one small decision spirals. And suddenly you've lost loads of time out of it. For sure, they'll be looking at it. Um but I just have in the back of my mind, it's spiral from that. Or should we just do something different, crazy? Kind how of how can that happen
1: when the staff levels are that big and everyone has their assigned and allotted roles? I mean, you know, why would, yeah, I mean, okay, it all plays in, you know, yeah. I suppose the tires you're using play into your, your but surely VSE would have been.
0: You would think so, you know, and I, I just, it, it's not a good enough excuse because as soon as you started on the tire, you should get straight into your plan for it. And through a Saturday night, you come up with plans for every discussion because even the people that are starting on the hard, you want to know roughly when they'll take the VSC or what their rough plan would be. So it should have all been fully analysed. And it's not a good enough excuse because I think there will be a good review there about why they made those decisions. It's just the only thing that I can think that maybe upset the Apple heart enough to get to that point. But in perfect hindsight, they should have stopped Lancelot one. On a medium, because that was a given, and then had a discussion about the lawns around the next lap, and that would have mean they got it, they totally got away with what they've done, and Lance wouldn't have lost all the positions that he did. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, it's it's not something I can really stand over from their side, and they should have done a better job
2: yeah but lack of preparedness it certainly felt like a lack of preparedness um, for sure on, on Aston Martin's uh, part I'm sure they'll be disappointed by the, by the weekend right, guys before we finish up and, and, and touch on Silverstone we should it'd be remiss of us not to mention uh, Declan Lando Norris' performance uh, in Austria he seems to love it over there twice a podium finisher uh, driver of the day performance fifth on the road as well and, and they've a number of updates to the car as well McLaren so he, clearly Norris has, uh, has responded well to those qualified fourth um, and lap 28 on turn four as the, uh, the overtake on Lewis Hamilton, which was a brilliant move as well. So great weekend for Landon Norris.
1: Yeah, heavy braking, bit of a car track. He was a great character. Uh, he's, um, he goes well there, doesn't he? I, I, like you say, he's got those couple of podiums in the fourth place. And um, McLaren came with their update. They only gave it to him. Piastri um, wasn't that much slower in qualifying. He was, well, point one seven five or something. So short lap. And that's a lot in in F one terms, isn't it these days? But still, but you know, he has had the edge on the Astri already this year. So you kind of think, well, you know, is the update making a big difference? Really, he's he. They all think it has, but the proof will be in the pudding. I think in in Silverstone, but for sure, it was a good weekend for him. And like he, like we were talking earlier about McLaren being kind of out of sequence on the upgrades with other teams, um, they got the benefit. In, in, in Austria, which is clearly a, a track. It's a track for Norris, I guess it's a track for McLaren as well. You talk about the DNA that even goes through rule regulation changes and somehow teams tend to still have this ability to to uh, perform at, at uh, different tracks. So we'll see. He was, he was pretty good in Silverstone last year as well, wasn't he? Top six, I think, and just behind Hamilton. So, um, um, yeah, it'll, it's going to be a good old scrap behind the Red Bulls.
2: How do, you, how do you see it going, Declan? Before we finish, we'll, we'll get your, your both of your predictions for, for Silverstone. It's it's rarely a, a boring race, Silverstone, at least. So it's it's one of the exciting ones we have to look forward to. But how do you see it going? Can anyone can anyone top oh, it? I hope
1: it rains, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe if it rains, it could be good. Yeah, Carlos Sainz will win again. Um, yeah, you know, Fernando Alonso, yeah, in the way.
2: Mm-hmm. I'll take down that. Down. Maybe a surprise <laughs> podium as well, we'll take. Yeah. Any, any predictions from yourself, Bernie, as to, as to how you see it going? it's, it's Predicting who the Formula One race winners this these weeks seems pointless, but uh, we'll yeah. do it anyway.
0: Well, I'm going to assume the winner's the same, and then I'm going to go for P2 and P3. So I think it's going to be Hamilton-Norris. I right. think, speaking from McLaren, their upgrades were working well, I think. I think it's should, the should have suited both the car and Norris. But they're planning to bring the upgrades to both cars, and they say it's another step that's going to be on both cars. Like I said, the step wasn't as strong as the step they brought to Austria. But they're sounding pretty positive, you know, out of McLaren. I don't think it's going to be as good here, potentially, but they are sounding pretty positive with that. It's, you know, another home track, effectively, for Norris. So that's going to be really interesting. Hamilton always goes well here. The Mercedes team will be a big push. So let's say the home advantage brings a little bit, although often it just brings a lot of hard work with all the marketing that's going on. Um, and it's looking dry at the minute, so unfortunately that's maybe not gonna to come to fresh and deck and but anything can happen and So's Silverstone
2: 100 i'm gonna I'm gonna up for Verstappen to win Norris second and uh, last year's winner Carlos signs in third just gonna go mad and pick three different three different teams for for three different podium places, which doesn't happen too often but uh we'll see uh, we need to get
0: better at reviewing these at the top of the show the next week because I can't even remember what I, I said know for Austria. <laughs> yeah. we need to we need right a better on review on.
2: system. Exactly. Going forward, I'm gonna I'm gonna take note of this after the this episode is over, and just so we remember. Or and we don't have to talk about it if we were all wrong. We can just brush it under the carpet. But if one of us was dramatically right, we can we can bring it back in. Uh, listen, guys, really enjoyed that uh, episode as per usual. Episode five of the F1 Pod. Bernie Collins and Declan Quigley. Thanks a million, guys, for your time.
0: Thank you. No thanks good for
2: me, yeah. We'll be back next Wednesday to review, of course, the, all the action at Silverstone this weekend. Until then, we'll have a good one. The F1 Pod
1: on off the ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula 1? Yeah, we go to town on it.